Hey, what's up, guys? It's Brian and Derek and Alex, and uh, this is Straight to Amp. Uh, I'm not sure, Alex, what episode is this? The fifth? Number five. Episode number five and six and maybe seven, depending on how we want to break this up. Um, We've got a super awesome uh, interview that we were able to pull together with Trevor from Jet Set Satellite. Derek, super huge homie for setting this up. Oh, yeah. You know, like, I've, I've always been a big fan of these guys. They're my favorite local band to come out of Winnipeg, and a great group of guys in the band, not just Trevor, but um, Rich, Mike, Jay, Dave. They're all great musicians, great singer. Um, and there's a show coming up, and I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, do you actually have the date on hand? Do you remember Do you remember offhand? I think it's August 11th, but let me just double-check Okay, as he's double-checking, one of the cool things that I guess you'll get to hear is in the interview is just how... Um, warm and welcoming the band is to its fans which is something that always kind of astounded me and i know one of the one of derek's favorite things uh those of you in winnipeg will know like they they interacted with their fans in such a cool and unique way and there were so many cool things like the couch party and uh, river city rocks and all sorts of amazing awesome uh interactions that they had with their fans um all sorts of molson parties they were at, at super spike one year uh and 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 you know they were always open and that's one thing that we end up talking about with trevor is just how open and Jet Set is. Uh, you know, we also kind of discuss about what's going on in the future for them, uh, what it was like transferring from being a band under a label to being an independent band, and uh, just some other interesting tidbits here and there about about the history of the band. Uh, I know something uh, that's something that you were you're super interested in, in most of the time is like the history, mm-hmm. how a band's co- band comes together sonically. So yeah, you know, like if you listen to all three albums, and you'll hear Trevor talk about a lot of the, the transitions between the two albums or sorry three albums uh they're they're unique in their own way each three albums and they they grew as a band and you'll hear them talk about that no exactly yeah, yeah so that's that's super awesome and and super cool and uh so we were we were so glad to be able to have have trevor on here super he, he was incredibly gracious though uh too which man we are so so thankful that he took an hour mm-hmm. an hour out of his life while the jets game was on no I less <laughs> uh to sit down to sit down and, and and talk with us about about jets at satellite and, and his musical endeavors mm-hmm. And like you just tapped on like uh, how good they were with their fans. And that's why I've been such a diehard fan is how good they were to us. Like um, getting invited to private uh, listening parties when End of an Era came out, uh, the Halloween haunt shows. They ha- they just did so much uh, within the community and in Winnipeg for their fans. So it's uh, it's good to hear that this show was coming back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and do you, have the, do you have the date there for yeah. the show? So it is August 11th. It's out near Selkirk. Uh, they got Bright Righteous and Moontan, two great local artists opening up for them and many more. Exomerta, the Disraeli Dreamers, two, two awesome bands as well that you guys should definitely go ahead and check out. Um, is there any information on tickets on there? Uh, yeah, not yet. Okay. Well, keep your eye open on tickets. Uh, you can check that out on Facebook. There's a there's a huge post about it. Um, the return of Jet Set Satellite. It's the Toba Rock Fest. Uh, make sure that you can go on there, like the page, uh, say that you're interested and going, uh, and you'll get all sorts of updates on on how to get involved in that. Hopefully, the weather will be nice um, because uh, it's it's August, so you know you you think it should be uh, in theory, and so. Um, hopefully the weather's nice. Hopefully, mm-hmm. even if it's not, you get out there and support these guys and show them yeah. just how loved they are. Yeah. Let's uh, get back out there, support local music, start getting people back to shows. And of course, um, if you're not a Jet Set fan or don't know too much about them, definitely get out there, check out all three albums, Blueprint, Vegas, End of an Era. Both albums are great front to back. Yeah, exactly. Um, definitely go ahead and check those out. And uh, now here is our interview with Trevor from Jet Set Satellite. 
All right. So you ready? Yeah. Cool. Uh, welcome to or welcome back to Straight to Amp, guys. Uh, we are joined by Trevor from Jet Set Satellite, uh, a band that I think all three of us have grown up with um, over the years and have joy enjoyed at different points in time in, in our life. Trevor, man, thank you so much for joining us. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks for asking me. Yeah, it's good to have the ferocity vocals behind the engine of Jet Set Satellite. Oh man, one of one of the coolest one of the coolest sounding bands I think I, I've ever heard in terms of vocal wise. So it's it's really cool, man. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Oh, jeez, thank you very much. Um, actually, I don't know if Trevor will remember this, but we actually uh, they opened up for a band. I will re- leave that band nameless because I don't want to shoot them in the foot. But yeah. at this point in the, their career, they've already changed. Ba- the the singer has went off and did his own thing. Right. And uh, it was at uh, what did they call the volleyball thing? Super Spike. Yeah, it was Super yeah. Spike. Um. And he sounded just rough. And I remember talking with Trevor, and Trevor was just like, well, that's the difference between the guy who takes care of his voice and the guy who smokes and drinks before he goes on stage. Lamb of God's like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, it's it, it's tough, you know. I mean, to be fairly... To be, you know, straightforward, it's like, if I knew what it took to, to be a, a rock vocalist before I got into it and the amount of discipline and warming up and care for your voice and all that kind of stuff, it never really occurred to me that your body is your instrument. Uh, until I was kind of deep into it. I mean, I probably would have just like practiced guitar a lot more. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess that's something that interests me then. You said, you know, out out of that quote, that's a difference in between a guy who takes care of his voice and a guy who smokes and drinks. What exactly go do you put into taking care of your voice and body to produce the sound? Well, I mean, I'm no angel, but you know, you put 10,000 hours or so, you know, the the token 10,000 hours behind anything. And I think you you kind of fumble your way through, you know, whatever it is you're pursuing. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't really have any formal vocal training. Um, a little bit once I had already kind of, I mean, we'd already had a record deal and I just went to go kind of find out how I could maintain what I was doing and, and was very, um, leery about the instructor changing anything that I had done because obviously I, I didn't want my voice to change. Um, but, uh, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just, I mean, just trying to, to find out as much information about it as you can and, and just, uh, you know, turning over every leaf, I guess it's I mean, anytime you're, you're kind of using a, a raspy voice, you're incurring wear and tear on your vocal cords. So it's, it's more or less about maintenance and the things that you can do to, you know, avoid increasing that wear and tear or, you know, just that, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, before we get into the history of the band, I just now we're talking vocals here. Uh, when did you first realize that you had this sound, this this vocal sound? Um, I I started playing in a band um, like probably like in the mid '90s, I guess. And uh, I was uh, my, one of my main like, songwriting partners in the band was um, a solo artist who's still performing in Winnipeg named Scott Hinkson. He's a really good friend of mine. And he was way ahead in terms of just anything I'd heard um, from a singer in Winnipeg. Anyways, on the local scene, he just, I'd never heard anybody that could actually really sing. I mean, I'd, I'd kind of, you know, like jammed around with different bands and stuff through junior high and high school and, and uh, had gotten behind the mic a little bit. But he was just like so far beyond uh, anything that I'd heard personally. And so I kind of, in my own way, you know, I think you know you you kind of emulate first so i kind of just was trying to do what he was doing and then out of that and my own limitations um just kind of started to develop my own style um but you know when i listen back to it now 
you know, it was so thin and, and, you know, not really a shadow of what I think I can do now. Um, and, and that actually started to come about mostly when I teamed up with, uh, Dave Swazicki, my partner in Jetset Satellite. And he just, you know, musically brought elements that I had never, I mean, I, you know, growing up, I played in bands with two guitars, bass drums. That was basically it. And mm. with Dave, I mean, he brings, you know, keyboards and string arrangements and, you know, all kinds of percussion and just like, you know, so many colors that I hadn't really had to sing against. Um, and suddenly, you know, just straight ahead rock vocals didn't cut the mustard right i mean you know he was bringing me music for some of the stuff off the first album like afterglow and blueprint and Mm -hmm. and it was like okay like i gotta sing this stuff like really learn how to sing and uh it just pushed me in a new direction and it was shaky at first but you know over time you keep doing it and the muscles get stronger and you know you kind of find your way like you said you fumble your way through it and through that you've you know develop your own sound and so now i think you know after years and years and years of doing this i think you know my bandmates have given me the greatest compliment where it's like no matter what song we're doing even if it's a cover it sounds like me doing the cover not like you know i'm, I'm not trying to sound like the singer mm-hmm. of that particular song it's just you know i it's i'm bringing whatever it is that it has become my sound i guess which is something that i have always tried to tried to chase i guess Right. There's nothing like your bandmates pushing you, uh, pushing your limits, eh? For sure. I mean, you know, I've always, I mean, I I think I've always been the guy's biggest cheerleaders. And, um, you know, particularly with the last album that we did, End of an Era, I, I was just like, guys, you know, this you know, candidly, I mean, we knew that, that, um, it was probably going to be our last, uh, full length recording. And I just said like, let's just create as many of those, amazing rock and roll moments as we can in the songs and try and push ourselves and raise the bar. And like, you know, if there's a spot for a drum fill, like take it, if there's a spot that, you know, you see an opportunity to take a guitar solo up a notch, I mean, just, you know, just fucking nail it to the wall. Like just, I just wanted everybody to just squeeze whatever, you know, talents and limitations we had to, to just try and put something on tape that was that was more than anything we'd ever put out before. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely agree that End of an Era is kind of your most wide-open album. Um, it definitely has uh, such a variety of songs that probably, you know, they del- still absolutely the Jet Set sound, but not necessarily something you would have heard on any of your past albums. And I think that's a really good exploration of, of your guys' sound. Um, and so, so hearing that that's the kind of the way that you went about it, it makes, it makes so much sense now in retrospect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, I mean, the sound was always developing. I mean, it's, it's kind of odd for me because there's, I'm envious of bands that come out and their debut albums just killer, you know, they, 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 they have their sound all together and, and they just like come out with a diamond in the rough right away. Um, for us, I mean, I, I kind of feel like we developed in plain view in a way, um, because just the nature of starting as two guys and, you know, we recorded the first album with essentially hired guns, studio musicians um, out of necessity. We just didn't really have the connections to players locally that we, you know, that that seemed like natural go to's to fill out the band. And um, as we you know, eventually did get the members that became the full lineup of Jets and Satellite. Um, that's when the sound kind of took another, you know, sort of huge leap. And we were in the midst of it with Vegas. I feel like it kind of came to the closest to what I had originally uh, sort of imagined as the sound of Jets and Satellite by end of an era. But, you know, I mean, I think that there's 
there's shades of it through all three albums. Um, I just think like maybe the arrangements were probably the most sophisticated on it of an era in terms of songs like the beast and Resurrexit And like that to me is kind of more like the core sound I'd always sort of imagined for the band. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember like the first time hearing the Beast live. I was like, it's like that moment where you're like, you're taken back in your seat. Like, wow, did he really just do that? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, it was uh, it was awesome. Cool. Um, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Like, you guys had, you guys have always had, even though it has evolved over time, you guys have always had a really cool sound. In, in my opinion, I'm probably going to make you feel a little bit old here, but the first time I heard you, uh, I would have been 11 years old. Uh, you guys had some <laughs> songs on on NHL 2002. Yeah, and uh, I I heard some of that stuff, and I'm like, whoa, who are these guys? And um, uh, I, I had uh, a family member working in radio at the time, kind of weird that I am now, but uh, I had a family member working in radio and I'm like, no, no, get me this album, please. And uh, I, I listened to Blueprint like so much and, and it, was, it was one of my favorite albums uh, from you know, about that time until I was probably about 15 or, or 16. I, I, I listened to it so much I ended up having to buy a second copy because my first copy skipped so much. Yeah. Um, Mine got stolen. I couldn't find any more. Oh, no. Yeah. But yeah, so like, <laughs> I don't know. You you say that you're envious about bands who come out and have the sound right out the gate, but you, you guys had an incredible sound right out of the gate. And while I'm glad that you've been able to evolve your sound to a point that you feel was what you envisioned in your mind's eye when you started it. Don't discount what you did with your earlier work. It's incredible. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, you know, I guess it's just, you know, you, you, it feels a little bit schizophrenic to me just because of the heavy side and the light side, Mm -hmm. um, which are are very much part of our identity as a band. Um, I I think it it takes a, a, I think there's a special audience for it because, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if it's like a, the most natural through line when you listen to one of our albums, because we do have those departures where it's like, you know, alongside like a Vegas or a a remover, you've got please capture me or belonging, which I think is something of a challenging leap for some listeners. Um, but at the same time we like it and we make music that we like. And that, you know, is kind of, I mean, we, you know, have nods to our diverse uh, set of influences and inspirations too. And it was just nothing that we seemed to be able to avoid. Like, you know, we, we ultimately, when we were assembling albums, it was always about, okay, what are the best songs that we have here? And ultimately, for me, having grown up on radio as well, I mean, I listened to tons of radio when I was growing up. Um, it comes down to hooks and, you know, being able to capture the listener and take them somewhere memorable um, that they want to return to, leaving them wanting more. Um, And I think like over the scope of the three albums, it always really pissed me off that like a lot of bands tend to mellow out like as their careers go on and they don't ever return back to the, I don't know, the nuts and bolts of like what it is that made them popular in the first place. Like Mm -hmm. sometimes it almost feels like they they don't they themselves don't understand their appeal you know and and will often take like a producer or something to come out like you know for instance metallica where they they really got sidetracked a little bit through yeah. the 90s and mm-hmm. you know it took a producer like rick rubin to go this is why everyone loved you guys originally and this is what you need to get back to yeah. and you know now you kind of see 
you know some of that with their last couple of albums but exactly um, it was like a back go back to your roots this is what everybody wants <laughs> yeah i mean and and to some degree like i don't know why you would even necessarily stray from it like you know i, I understand the exploration artistically and everything but you know like if if we didn't have songs like the beast and resurrect and you know some of those tracks on end of an era i would feel like we were phoning it in or something like you know of course you expect some heavy material to come to come with the band i mean it's just like i hate it when bands just kind of like you know just smooth everything out and 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 get away from what it is that makes them popular totally agree uh i am wildly curious about something um though uh if you guys were to come out with a new album and new music um in in the future with the way that spotify culture exists now how would you go about like doing that would you go about uh writing your songs and your albums any differently knowing that like most of the time people don't listen to through full albums anymore it's it's the same sort of thing as as trying to catch people radio wise but you know it's it's uh a much more sporadic listening pattern yeah it's a good point i you know i i can't imagine us doing it any differently for me you know it, it was a real experience going from being on a label to being independent and you know with that i mean the one thing that the label labels are really good at is, is obviously the promotional cycle and, and getting the songs in you know at that time in you know in people's ears and on tv and and promoting everything and and when we went independent we had to face the realities that like okay we're gonna get about like one percent of the promotion that we received when we were on a label um because we were self-funded but at the end of the day you're the one who is putting out the music and you're the one who's gonna have to live with it and you're gonna have to answer to it and you're gonna have to stand on stage and perform it in front of people and and represent it you know the the way it's written and and the way the people you know like it or don't like it but you know it's 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 yours it, it's it's just you know for me it was about creating something that had the potential to be lasting and to me that's still the album format and 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 with it songs that you believe in Oh, yeah. and um yeah. you know however people choose to listen to it there's still going to be a faction of people that do listen to albums front to back and that appreciate the format and i know i, I still know. Do. i mean <laughs> you know i know that our songs have been discovered through different channels where you're not getting the full album experience and and that's fine but for the listener who does want to go a little deeper for the for yeah. the audiophile you know who's who's still buying albums and still interested in that kind of journey i i feel like that we would still kind of serve them as our primary fan base. Yeah. And as like, as creative artists too, you're not going to limit yourself to one or two songs. Like if you guys have it in you, which I know all these individual members in this band and they're all amazing, you know, not just singer, but musicians as well, that they have a lot to create. So I, I could see jet set in the future. Like, Hey, if they got something to make, they're going to make a full thing, not just a two part thing. Oh yeah. No, yeah. I, Totally agree, and that's the way that I think people should go about it. I was just kind of curious to know your opinion. Yeah. Um, well, the other thing, though, too, and I mean, I throw this to you guys. I mean, there's been some bands that I follow that, you know, they put out two or three songs at a time rather than an album. And, and some of them have even gone to the point of putting out, say, like, you know, three EPs of four songs each or something like that. And they kind of bring them out as almost chapters and then sell the album at the end. Mm -hmm. But I feel like the care factor 
is decidedly lower for that kind of stuff than their that approach. I actually talked to somebody putting about an album this. Out. Even though the album format, like you said, has largely been kind of, you know, people have moved on from that. Something about it, it just doesn't have the magnitude. It doesn't have the impact. Yeah, no. And I actually just talked to somebody about this very recently. There's a, uh, my main show is actually about like modern emo music. And there's this great math emo band in Montreal by the name of Golfer. And most of their releases up until this point have been splits, right? So they, you know, just they'll record two songs and it'll be their two songs on one side of a, of a, of a vinyl and another band's two songs on the other side. And I mm-hmm. talked I talked to them about it and they said, you know, they wish they had done it differently because it feels very disjointed. And while it's great mm-hmm. that you're constantly getting ears on your product because you are putting something out every six, eight, how many ever months, very short individual bursts of time, he said that like it just kind of felt disjointed and that they wish they had put out a full album. And they did recently just put out a full album and like they ended up getting like a 7.8 on Pitchfork and, and they're getting huge media attention now, which is great. So I agree with you that like the album is still the lasting format. Um, I just I, I just wish more people would kind of agree with that. Um, another thing I, I did want to ask you is, is because you feel that like media consumption through an album format is a very important, uh, how do you feel about release on vinyl? Uh, well, I mean, I like it. I, I, you know, I, to me, it's, it's the sort of, um, um, the equal and opposite reaction to no tactile media at all. Right. right. I mean, it's, you know, what, what comes up, but the biggest, largest piece of media that we've actually ever you know had to digest music um so i think in in some ways it's natural um i like the i like i I mean especially with with the albums that originally came out on vinyl the sort of two sides right the two programs of 20 minutes each or so um i think it gets a little bit it gets a little bit uh, much to deal with when you're you know, you, you have like, you know, some bands that, you know, as, as the CD format came out, they exploited the length of it. And so you've got some, you know, classic albums like Soundgarden, Super Unknown, which are, you know, they crack the 70 minute mark and it's spread over, you know, four or five LPs. It just doesn't have the same experience to me. Um, but I think particularly if you write for the format and write, you know, a 40 minute album that goes side one, side two, I think that's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic to that journey right because again i mean growing up you know i'm i'm old enough to have listened to cassettes and and uh you know there was a definite sort of way that you sequenced an album with you know what was going to be on side one track one and how you ended side one you know with the track and then you know you flipped it over and and side two track one was kind of the beginning of something too right when cds came out you kind of sequenced the album differently the hills and valleys in terms of the listening experience were a little bit different um because it was one full listen right through with no stops but that that flipping over of the tape and and almost having two distinct programs was kind of a a unique experience man that's fascinating i had never really thought of it or had it put like that way before so yeah i thank you Mm -hmm. (laughs) well uh let's shift gears a little bit here let's um let's go to the early days the startup days of jet set satellite how did the band get started and what was the, the local scene like in winnipeg back then it wasn't too bad. I mean, I never really felt um, super connected. Uh, I played in a band called Far Gone uh, with my friend Scott Hinkson and a couple other guys. And we um, played, you know, not a lot, but we probably played like 
10, 10 or 15 shows a year, maybe. Um, so we weren't super tapped into the scene. Um, but there was, there was like quite a few, quite a number of local bands. I mean, um, the clubs, you know, that were, there was a lot of opportunities to play, uh, the Royal Albert was still around, um, the pyramid, uh, the zoo was still there. Aussies, um, RIP the uh, zoo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, we, we had a pretty good experience overall. Um, so that was kind of where I had my first main, uh, there was also the junkyard, which was around, across the street from the MTS center, um, which was a, a regular haunt of ours too. Um, but um, so it was, it was a good scene. Didn't feel totally connected. Didn't feel like, you know, I don't know, just I, I'm, I'm not really too sure. It felt super competitive, I think, with some of the bands, maybe not in a good way. Um, and we put out a couple of albums and then I met Dave Suzuki through a mutual friend and, um, I had sort of had a number of songs that I'd kind of built up a bit of a back catalog that I didn't think were right for the band. And I was going to Red River college, uh, taking the creative communications program there. And there was, uh, and still is, I believe, uh, a, a term project that was like runs the length of the course, uh, the two-year course, and you had to write a novel or a collection of short stories or a play or something. And I, I pitched them the idea that I would do a solo album, and they thought it was pretty ambitious. Uh, the instructors, I had to, you know, pitch pitch the instructors on this and stuff. And um, but I had produced um, one song uh, fully with uh, Dave. And they they gave me the go ahead and said, all right, uh, you know, feels like a lot of work. But if you think you can do it, you know, go ahead. And I I cheekily put in the in the sort of pitch documents that my end goal was to get a record deal. And I, I you know, I didn't really believe it, but I, I put that in there as sort of the best case scenario. And so we continued recording and um, we just, you know, it was it was so fun because um having played in bands like i said that were two guitars bass drums you know in a basement bashing it out um dave just brought all of these um different instruments and different sounds and and just a sort of naivety that um just had us curious and 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 you know kind of i don't know chasing whatever whatever we wanted it just felt like um, there was just no limits and, uh, we were recording different ways. We were, you know, we, we, um, we were recording vocals in all kinds of different, uh, rooms in the house and, and, uh, experimenting with found sounds and, and, uh, just squeezing every object we could get our hands on basically. And, and just, uh, it was a really adventurous sort of time sonically. And, um, we were listening to all kinds of stuff, but in particular, the Sarah McLaughlin album um, had like this really great piano sound that Dave was sort of after. And he had some kind of contact. He had um, ordered a, a custom guitar um, from a music store in Montreal. And, and they sort of gave him a contact to a producer named Pierre Marchand, who had done a lot of uh, Sarah McLaughlin's albums. And Dave reached out to him and said, Hey, we're, we're trying to get this piano sound. It's not really working out. And, you know, kind of just left him a voicemail. And months went by and, and we'd forgotten all about it. And now all of a sudden one day Dave phoned me and said, you are not going to believe who I just got off the phone with. And he said that Pierre Marchand had called him back 
And um, through the course of their conversation, I guess Pierre got curious and said, what, what are you guys up to exactly? And uh, why don't you send me a couple of tracks? And so Dave sent him a couple of the songs that we were working on. And he wrote back and said, hey, this stuff sounds really cool. You know, I, I've got a really good relationship with uh, Sarah's record label, Network Records, out of Vancouver. And I think, uh, you know, I'd like to forward this and, and, you know, with a letter of recommendation that they should sign you guys. And it was just like that. It was, it was so like the lightning strike, you know, that you don't see coming. Um, you know, it was a whirlwind after that. All that happened days later. We were being flown out to Vancouver, just Dave and I. And, um, you know, they, they wanted us to play for them. They originally said, well, you know, can you guys get a, a show together in Winnipeg and we'll come see you. And we're like, we don't have a band. Like we've never played. We're recording in a bedroom. Like, you know, we had a little bit of experience, but Dave had actually never been on stage before. And, uh, so we were so green in some ways, um, that, uh, you know, we, we were just flying by the seat of our pants. I mean, literally. Um, so they flew us out there and we played for the, for the, the record label people. And I mean, they were a very successful, management company more than a label as a label they had skinny puppy and that was one of the main draws for us and you know some other bands um that were really interesting and 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 obviously representing you know a global superstar like sarah mclaughlin so we knew that they had you know a lot of clout um but they were also managing the bare naked ladies and they managed avril lavigne and like some really big big you know artists right um and so we played i think five songs for them right in the lobby of, of the record label and um they pretty much signed us on the spot and that's how it happened it was really crazy that's incredible um i actually have a couple of questions about about that uh mm-hmm. first as you mentioned that uh the the scene in winnipeg was very competitive and not in a good way i'm not asking you to name any bands but like what exactly did you mean by that <laughs> um you know, I just I don't know if like the bands really helped each other out as much as they maybe could have. Um, it just felt like every band that we played with anyways had had, you know, kind of an attitude. Yeah. Um, it just didn't feel very supportive. I think that's probably a lot different in Winnipeg now. I, I get the the sense, you know, even talking to, to people playing in bands there now that, it, that there's just a much different climate. Um, and I couldn't be happier. Yeah, You know, they're just, um, I think, you know, when we got signed, there was a lot of bad feelings, um, a lot of just murmuring and, and, you know, bands that had, that, that we hadn't paid our dues and, you know, whatever that means. Um, but you know, I'm sure there was many bands who had played a lot more shows than we had that had, that had, you know stuck it out in the trenches for for years before us but you know it was just i mean i don't know how you could have faulted us for how it happened i mean all we were was two guys writing songs and we accidentally got a record deal i mean how is that our fault yeah right if you're good you're good and somebody will find you i mean that's pretty much just the way of it right Mm -hmm. um the other thing i wanted to ask is you mentioned that you were you know trying to make sound sonically with like anything you could get your hands on what's the weirdest thing that you ended up recording and using in a track um probably a vacuum hose um (laughs) we were swinging it around we were swinging it around in dave's parents living room to get that kind of sound and um yeah it it was uh worked out really well 
Um, well, it never we... made it to the final album, but <laughs> it did. I think it was on the track After the Rain from Blueprint, the original demo that we used it. Oh, um, yeah. That song in particular, even though it's not a, it, it's almost like a component piece to Lies by the Thousands, the opening track. Um, but I think it was the demo anyways that for us kind of, blew the sonic exploration wide open um there was something about that track and, and we were listening to this band from seattle called tuatara which is kind of a a super group an instrumental super group there's peter buck from rem is in it and um barrett martin from the screaming trees and they they were definitely influential on us um with those tracks and and we were just in our way trying to kind of emulate some of the sounds that we heard on on those songs Nice. Well, if you can't find a didgeridoo, grab a vacuum hose. Yeah, right? Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> totally. I'm going to remember that one. So, yeah. at this point now, you guys are on a label. You got signed. Uh, you got some singles out. How did the... I know Brian asked about it earlier, but how did you guys get approached for the NHL 2002 soundtrack? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's just one of those, again, another lucky strike, but, um, EA sports, um, who produced that video game, I think they're based out of Vancouver and yeah. they already had a relationship with our record label and publicist. And, um, I think that our publicist or I'm, sorry, I said publicist, I meant publishing company. And I think they just pitched some of our songs to the game and, and, um, and they included it. And it's one of those you know, great moments. Cause of course I'm a lifetime jets fan. And for that, you know, it's like two of your loves kind of intersecting. Mm -hmm. Um, that's to me, like, uh, it doesn't get any better than that. Did you get a <laughs> free copy of the game? I did. Yes. And I played it, uh, religiously I'm and, uh, it was say, great that you could kind of go, I think there was like a legacy option with the Phoenix coyotes and you could play with jets uniforms. Yes. Yeah. You could. Yeah. Now, yeah. okay. I'm going to put you on the spot. Who was on the cover that year? Oh, boy. Uh, that's a really good question. Uh -huh. uh, he's retired now. He's a legend. Won back-to-back -back Stanley Cups. Number 66. I want to, I want to say Mario Lemieux. That yes, is correct. That's correct. Yeah. yeah, it's Lemieux. All right. That's actually Thanks. my first discovery to Jet Set Satellite was, was not just the radio, but that game. Yeah. No, that's it's... unbelievable. That's unbelievable to me. It's, it's like... You know, it's like when those things happen, you just feel like, you know, your music is kind of on tentacles out there and you just don't, you never know who it's going to reach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've had some some cool placements in TV shows and movies as well. And, and uh, even recently, long after the band has been kind of inactive. And, and uh, yeah, I just I love that idea that someone can find your your song in, in a really unorthodox way. It's going to sound crazy, but like I I've done it all the time. You know, 2002, I found you guys. Gob was on that on that uh, on that soundtrack as well. Trouble Charger. Trouble Charger was on that soundtrack. Um, yep. And in 2004, I ended up finding the Ataris, uh, brand new Alien Ant Farm. Um, we're all on that one. And like even even some of the newest ones, like Pop, uh, just this amazing Canadian new punk rock band, was on the 2015 mm -hmm. one. They've EA has always done an incredible job with their soundtracks. And so even nowadays, like I'll just go and look up the soundtracks of the current games just to see what the heck they're bumping because whoever is running their music department is doing a heck of a good job 
Oh, for sure. And, and uh, you know, it's a lot easier now that there's Shazam, right? You can like, exactly. yeah. figure out exactly mm-hmm. who these songs are. Because, I mean, you know, music supervision for television shows, because TV these days is, is pretty much like feature films almost. And the music supervisors are, you know, they're using all kinds of, you know, um, great independent bands and and uh and it's yeah it's uh, i i shazam stuff all the time and, and discover bands like that myself it's much easier to be an independent man now than what it would have been when you guys were putting out vegas and end of an era um you know there's there's loads more ways for you guys to get your music out there i, I did mention spotify before apple music is another one um i am a big fan of Bandcamp. I think that's a really, really good way. Uh, people use SoundCloud and stuff like that. Um, what is one struggle that a current independent band could be going through that most people wouldn't know? Well, I mean, I, I think that the kind of old-timey channels like regular radio stations are pretty much off-limits. Um, it's still the major labels, I, I believe, anyways, have like a stronghold on those sort of really traditional channels of promotion so you know i don't think there's any cracking that nut but like you said i mean it's a lot easier i mean you know it's, it's easier to to produce and distribute your music you know than ever before um it's just a matter of how do you attract an audience to it and there's obviously multiple ways to skin that cat so um but yeah, I mean, I kind of, I, I do kind of wish that at the time that we released Vegas, which was in 2005, that things like Bandcamp existed, uh, would have certainly made it a lot easier for us. And I think would have benefited us a great deal. Um, but, you know, that's the way, that's the way it goes. Well, I'm going to share a little quick, another quick pre-story for my, Go my for chat it. set time is I, I was a big bar band fan. I love going to... Uh, bars just checking out who's doing local things and i i got on with a lot with um going to see old school a lot this band called old school and uh, they would do amazing rock covers like they just had an energy the drummer was unreal the lead guitarist were unreal and i i got to know the lead guitarist really well and then i asked him when he's playing again and he says well i'm actually putting that on the side and i'm actually going to go back to my real band and uh, we're putting out an album i'm like well what's the real band called he goes jet set satellite i'm like like no way like baby cooler jets um lies by a thousand and he goes oh you've heard of us i'm like yeah he's like yeah we got a cd party coming up in a month so i went that and then ever since then i've been like a full on this is my favorite winnipeg band of all time there's yeah real good real good so with that being said let's go into the story of how vegas came about well, I still say to this day, I think it's the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, I, it was, it was, um, there were several member uh, changes. Uh, we we uh, endured some um, some personal losses uh, in our families. Um, it just seemed like the universe was against us at certain points. Um, you know, we battled some demons. Uh, it wasn't as easy as we thought it was going to be to, to be independent. We thought, you know, naively again, that, uh, the relationships that we'd forged, uh, with media types, I guess, while we were promoting blueprint would be there still, um, that radio stations that supported us would naturally, if we delivered, you know, uh, similar quality material that they would just jump on it. Not the case, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for those kind of channels, being on a label is everything. Um, so there were a lot of doors that were, you know, 
that were closed on us that we didn't we didn't anticipate necessarily. Um, and and then you know even when we got things rolling with uh, um, Dwayne Barron, who it, we were incredibly fortunate, and a lot of people probably don't know this, but he he mixed our album and he uh, produced a number of huge classic rock albums, including Ozzy Osbourne's No More Tears, uh, which is a, just a killer sounding album. No and kidding. he's an ex Winnipeg. Oh, right. uh, he's from Winnipeg. Yeah, he's from Winnipeg. And uh, so again, you know, a, another lucky stroke, uh, you know, someone that we knew, a, a friend of the band, uh, was cousins with Dwayne Barron. And, and he said, well, you know, like, I'll give you his information and, and see, maybe he'd be interested. And so we contact him and sure enough, he was. And uh, a couple of months into us mixing the tracks, we, all of a sudden, all communications just ceased and uh, we no. couldn't figure out what was going on and and Dwayne had been in in a huge car accident uh he had actually um uh, been t-boned while driving a convertible and it absolutely flipped over and he was in the hospital for a couple of months and uh so this album that had already been years in the making for various reasons uh you know was again sidelined um and uh yeah, it just it, like I said, it just seemed like there was a dark cloud over it or something mm. like that. But uh, um, and there was every reason to quit. I mean, there were so many reasons to quit, but we just kept going. And uh, the, you know, I, I was working at a record store in Winnipeg at that time called Planet of Sound, and um, you know, I was a bit of a sitting duck for people coming in, you know, because they'd be just like, "When's the new album coming out? When's the new album coming out? When's the new album coming out?" And everybody's asking me, and, and you know, months turned into years, and. I, I, I kind of started to run out of answers and it was frustrating for me too. Um, but, uh, thankfully, you know, what was it like, I guess five years after the first album, we were finally able to release our follow up, and, uh, it um, I think alienated a lot of people. Uh, I think we lost a lot of our fan base in that gap. Um, but there was nothing we could really do about it. Mm -hmm. Um, the fact that it has the life, that it has had and that some of the songs have gone on to be in, in TV shows and films and things like that. Um, and that we ultimately can listen back to it and are proud of it yeah. proves to me that we did the right thing and took the right approach. And, um, yeah, that's about all I have to say about that. Yeah. Where well, you were talking about, uh, losing a bit of the fan base. Uh, that's obviously where I became a bigger fan, um, and started coming to almost every show. And what I noticed is, you saw repeat faces from there on, from that from that CD release party for Vegas. I remember I seeing the same people at every show up until End of an Era came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, that that was always the goal. I mean, we we have a lot of respect for the people that like our music. We knew that it was going to be a special kind of fan, and I know everybody says that and, and everything. But I mean, you know, I, I think we asked a lot of the people that followed us. Um, and they never disappointed mm -hmm. and, uh, we, we just, we always thought the a lot of our fan base and when we were, when we were doing anything, it was always, you know, with that in mind, we mm -hmm. never want to come out and do it half-assed or, yeah. you know, it was just, there was just, a um, the, because we felt like our fan base had a lot of integrity, we tried to act accordingly. Yeah. And one thing I'll top on too is. Uh, as a fan, I actually found you guys were probably the most one of the most loyal and true bands to your fans. Um, a, a lot of specialty things they did, like they had a fan group, and then like they would nominate somebody monthly to be the jet setter of the month. Um, you uh, had private listening parties for End of an Era when it first came out, actually on top of Planet of Sound that you um, 
hosted for a select group of fans. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of bands who, you know, don't do that kind of stuff. So I think you, you, like I said, you guys were one of the most true bands to your fans, uh, especially in Winnipeg. What kind of drives you, you know, to do all... that, man? What drives us to do that? Yeah, like, like you know, like a lot of bands don't do that kind of thing. And it is mm-hmm. it is unique and awesome. And, you know, it, it puts you more in contact with your fans, I guess, is, is one way to go about it. But, yeah, I don't know, like what... What was the thought process that kind of went in, went into being like, yeah, no, this is something we absolutely want to do? Um, you know, just being fans of music, music and bands ourselves, I guess it was just like, well, what would we want to, you know, what would we want to do if we were a fan of the band? Like, what what, what can we do? I mean, I, it does take a, you know, an extra effort for sure, particularly when you're independent and you have to do everything, you know, with, I mean, we have friends that helped us, of course, but I mean, we don't have, you know, we didn't have a lot of corporate sponsorship. We don't have people working for us. It was, you know, if this was going to be done, I mean, you know, the lion's share of it was going to fall on our shoulders to do. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I mean, uh, one of my favorite things that we did was we um, had a contest on our website to do, you know, jet set in your house. Yeah. The couch, yeah, the couch party. Yeah. And uh, the people who won, um, you know, we were still in contact with them and, and friends to this day because it was just such a great performance and it had, you know, it was such a great night. I mean, it had as much to, to do with them as, as it had to do with us because they invited 80 people um, and uh, the, just, it was just a great situation. And, uh, and you know, it's uh, one of those things that um, it's just a great memory now. Yeah. And a lot of as a fan, too, and like knowing the, the group around uh, the fan base. A lot of us, what we would do, too, to help promote this band is we would actually drag people to the shows with us. I would make my friends come with me to see this band. I think I made you come once, Alex. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. But definitely, I, 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 there's been a few people I have made come to these shows and actually therefore became good fans. I mean, that's how I started coming to the shows, too. I was there at some of them. And, and like, I was a fan of the band, but I wasn't really much of, like, a show guy. And my buddy's like, no, 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 you have to absolutely come to one of these shows. And I made it out, and I was like, this is insane. This yeah. is such a cool atmosphere. And, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll do trevor's horn again here is like they also this is a band that actually puts on an amazing yeah. show on stage yep um there was one show at coyotes one time there was a um, you guys used to get a lot of molson sponsored events and this i think this was a molson sponsored event you opened for a band i won't say the name again because you guys got actually chanted to play one more song on stage <laughs> and then when you guys were off stage half the people left and went outside and drank on the patio Right. Most mostly everybody there was was for Jet Set Satellite. That's crazy. Yeah. Um. Well. Go ahead. Sorry. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to ask what what your best fan interaction ever was. Oh, too many to too many to say. I can't. I couldn't narrow down one. I mean, you know, we we always tried to make ourselves available. Um. You know, I answered. You know, I, I used to put notes in into even like when we ship merch out and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, I certainly tried to answer most, if not all of the emails that uh, that we received. Um, we always, you know, were kind of hanging around um, the merch booth or whatever after the shows, um, you know, it, it wasn't a mystery to us as to you know why we were able to continue doing what we did for as long as we did and if you know if nobody was coming out to the shows and nobody was enthusiastic about what we were doing then there'd be you know we would be living in a cone of silence so we we really appreciated you know everybody that came out and and all the 
you know, I mean, all the cash they, they put down to support our music and support, you know, us living that dream. Mm-hmm. Um, as I was just mentioning, um, you guys uh, played a lot of Molson Canadian uh, sponsored events. Now, was that a relationship or that just just was came about as is? You know, I don't even remember the genesis of it, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> at some point, it just it just came to be. And I don't really know why. Um, but they were, they, yeah, they were a great help. I mean, they certainly add a lot of profile to what we did. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, they were really nice to work with. Um, yeah, I can't say enough good things about them. Yeah, because I remember there was there was a show at the Charlie. There was the show at Coyotes uh, when you guys brought got brought in for Super Spike. All these shows I couldn't attend because I was too young. Yeah, I'm a little older than Brian. Um, and then also <laughs> there's there's a couple one or two that were um, were at Silverados too. That were mm-hmm. yeah. I think I snuck into one of those. Yeah, yeah and like I you mean, know, got great opportunity I, that these guys got actually got actually a handful of times got to open for Thornley too. I love Thornley. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm a huge Big Rec fan to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's an incredible musician, Ian Thornley, and uh, what a career he's had. Um, so you guys are kind of doing some more shows coming up. You want to talk about that a little bit? Well, uh, we're doing a show. Um, we were contacted about um, getting back together. Uh, not that we broke up, but we just we've we haven't uh, seen each other for you know quite a while i mean i i've kept in contact and even been writing with a couple of the guys in the band on and off but um we really haven't been on stage since uh, like 2008 it's been almost a decade by the time that we play this show um it's uh, saturday august 11th mm-hmm. it's called toba rock fest um presented by the village idiots and uh there's a bunch of bands uh we're headlining but there's a bunch of bands um Bright Righteous, Moon Tan, uh, Silence Kit, The Bloodshots, Northern Royals, yeah. Israeli Dreamers, um, yeah, Exo Murda. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce her band, Soul Hound. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of a one day festival um, in St. Andrews slash Selkirk, I believe, uh, on a big piece of property. And um, don't know exactly how many people are going to be there. I think they're aiming for one to 3,000. Um, I think they'll get more, but it's sounded like a good time, and and uh, and they seem pretty well organized, and so we said, okay, let's do this. Yeah, me and Alex, uh, we're uh, good friends with um, the lead singer, Bright Righteous, so we're looking mm-hmm. forward to uh, these newer bands playing with you guys. It's uh, I've covered hate... I've covered Exo Merita before; those guys are killer. Yeah, and Disraeli yeah. Dreamers is such a Winnipeg name. Yeah, yeah no kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and. Uh, but now with all these, uh, you're headlining with all this young local talent underneath you. Do you almost kind of feel like the godfathers of Winnipeg rock now? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, I don't know if I've really ruminated on it that long. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm impressed that people are still interested. Um, you know, I... I at some point, I think in the band's trajectory, I realized that, you know, the decisions that we'd made, we weren't going to be, you know, we weren't going to be Metallica, um, that we were going to mean hopefully quite a bit to a small group of people. And uh, I was comfortable with that. And uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm really glad that people are still listening and that our music um, still means something to them. Uh, it reinforces, you know, our collective decision years ago to kind of just 
respect the music and 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 each other and uh you know the the synchronicity that we had i think and uh just to to ultimately just put out albums that we believed in rather than you know what a record label might want us to do or you know what we thought was the right thing to do um we just we really stayed true to to our muse and Mm -hmm. uh put out songs that that we thought were good so i've been noticing and we all have lately on uh instagram and facebook there's been a lot of posts lately yeah i mean uh you know to be honest it was just a a way of us uh to tease um the upcoming show to get uh, people a little bit intrigued about what was going on um i was in winnipeg over the holidays i live in toronto now i was i was back in back home um over the christmas holidays and dave and i got together and we started you know started jamming and and uh, we kind of knew about this opportunity um and just started to you know shake the rust off and and get our ducks in a row um because uh you know this is again i mean it's like any of of our past uh, dealings uh, this is no small um event for us um you know we we had no idea and we were very straightforward with the organizers you uh, have we have no idea what our draw is going to be in 2018 mm-hmm. um but if you're interested we are too and uh, we'll bring everything we have um just like we always have to getting back up to speed um because i would never want to stand on that stage and be anything less you know we wouldn't do it if we didn't think that we were capable of still putting on that same quality and caliber of show mm-hmm. uh, that would just be vanity like it would be it would be serving our egos and that's not why we're doing this we're doing this because we want to have fun and we want to have you know a moment uh with the people that enjoyed our music um you know back in the day right. and uh we just hope we can deliver nice yeah well we're gonna do the best that we can to help promote this show and you guys and and, uh, i know the village elites are really good at promoting local music too i think Mm -hmm. i think i think my employers umfm are are helping you guys out too i I know i've heard some commercials for it so hopefully hopefully we can get some more awesome all right well we got a few more things to rattle off with uh trevor here so so i'll ask you a quick question what do you think is the like what's the future of jet set satellite from here on out after after the show coming up do you have any plans at this point? Are you kind of winging it? What do you think? What do you want to do? Um, you know, perfectly honest, I just don't know. Um, I, as I said, I mean, I've I've been in contact and even have written some songs with uh, Mike and Dave from the band over the past couple of years. There are there is material kicking around. I mean, there, there's been new songs written. Um, it's not an album by any means. Um, but, uh, there's definitely some, there's a skeleton there. There's core tracks. I, I, in my mind, I mean, I, I know, I think what the sound of Jet Set Satellite in 2018 would be. Um, but, you know, having not been on stage together in 10 years, that's a really long time. We've all, we've all, you know, we're different people in in some regard. And I just don't even know what to expect. I mean, with me in Toronto and them in Winnipeg, they've been rehearsing, um, I've been rehearsing on my own. I'll come back at a certain point ahead of the show and we'll rehearse together. And I, I just couldn't even fathom what the future is beyond this show. I just, I, I, I don't think any of us can really 
think about it. We just don't know um, if we uh, and there's been no bad blood or anything like that. It was more just uh, it felt like the stars, if they were aligned during the three albums, that they just became misaligned at some points, and um, it became incredibly difficult for me to participate. I think um, being in a different city. Um, and so it just felt like three albums was our statement at that point. And we didn't break up. We never issued any sort of news about that or anything like that. It was just put on hold. And whether this is the catalyst for bringing it off hold is anybody's guess at this point. I, I really, I'm not being coy. I just, I absolutely don't know. That's not um, fair. It's like an emotional cocktail of excitement and nerves and yeah. Name it. That's I, it. But I feel like Jim Carrey right now on Dumb and Dumber. Like, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's always a chance. I mean, there's always a chance. But I mean, it's just I, I have no idea. Uh, it would be. I, I'm certainly open to it. I am, you know, like I said, uh, it's uh, there's there's material there, and it would be it would be um, my great privilege um, to be able to. You know, to think that all of us were on the same page in terms of releasing a fourth album, which I think would be the natural extension of this. Um, I, you know, in terms of a tour or something like that, I don't think that that would be anything that we'd really discuss, just because the logistics of it would be too tough to navigate. I think the most important thing to us would be to come back with another, you know, statement mm-hmm. um, musically. Can yeah, totally that dig be- that. Yeah. A uh, couple of last questions, just some fun ones, you know, just just to to chill off the interview, I guess. Um, of course, playing in, in in Winnipeg, what was your favorite venue? Like, if you had to pick one venue from Winnipeg, um, that you know, like the venue to play, like the ultimate Jet Set Satellite show, where where's where is it? Oh boy. Um, well, I mean, my favorite show that we ever played. I mean, from a I don't know from a performance level uh, point of view, but um, we got to play on Canada today. We opened up for the Watchmen and Matthew Good Band, um, oh, yeah, and there was right. like I think like eighty thousand people there. That was at the Forks. We played like that Scotiabank Theater stage. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, we didn't have our regular technical crew with us, so I don't know if it was the best show sonically for us. Uh, but it was certainly the most mind blowing. I felt like I was going to have a heart attack before we went out there. Um, the entire stage backdrop was a Canadian flag and people were losing their minds. And, uh, I, I, I believe, uh, someone in the band still has footage from the stage, just panning across the audience. Nice. And it is astounding. It's, it makes one weak in the knees. Um, so that was probably my favorite gig ever in terms of a venue. Um, you know, this is going to sound cliche, but I'm not sure it really mattered. Uh, it was more just about sharing that moment with the people that were there. And, and I can't think of a venue. I can't single one out necessarily. I mean, it was always nice to play the bigger clubs, which, you know, like Silverado's at the time or, you know, I'm not even totally familiar with what's active now in Winnipeg, to be honest with you. But Not a lot. Um, not a lot. No. 
Not a lot. No, and that's what we're. That's like part of the podcast with us is we're uh, we're exploring new venues, new bands, and we want to know what's the top venue these days. There's and... lots of great bands, and you know, like there's some venues out there, stuff like the Handsome, Handsome Daughter and the Windsor mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And a lot of people are still playing the park, but mm-hmm. in terms of like you know the, the zoos and the Alberts and and stuff like that, it yeah. just Silverados is gone. I the think Spike it's, uh... is not really up for that anymore. Coyotes is gone. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. not yeah. really. Yeah. Basically, anywhere you guys mainly played is probably gone. Shannon's is still yeah. looking around. And yeah, Shannon. The sound- oh, yes. Yeah, Shannon's is still there. Yeah. Um, what is the wackiest story about another band from a tour? And you don't have to name the band. I, I just want to hear, like, a really bizarre story. A bizarre, <laughs> bizarre story? Yeah. Um, hmm... I don't know if I have anything that's totally bizarre. I mean, I've seen some rock star temper tantrums yeah, sure. backstage, yeah, which sure. were oh, yeah. that's fairly good. petty. That's good. Hit me up yeah. with one of those. Yeah. Dish the gossip about, here. Like, yeah, you know, just about things that were missing from, from the craft table or from their rider, you know, like uh, trivial things and, and temper tantrums thrown. Uh, but um, I can tell you one of the coolest things was um, – playing with the headstones at one of the Yo. i think it was a new year's show but it was a show at it was a show at the convention center oh i heard about the and show we were, and we were in the van like going to the convention center and and um hugh dylan the singer uh was being interviewed on the on the radio and and um as we drove up he started singing best way to die they had asked him about like you know do you know anything about the opening band anything you know what do you think of these guys and he started singing best way to die during the interview which um for me you know particularly their first album was like a real uh you know real influence on me and and uh, i still think they kind of occupy a very unique space in canadian mm-hmm. music um yep. Um, just because they are darker and punkier and kind of, you know, have a lot of attitude. Oh yeah. Um, so that was, that was, uh, that, that warmed the cockles of the heart. Um, yeah. To say the least. Yeah. I've seen the last two times they come here and he still brings that attitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, after I moved to Toronto, I, I started working in the film industry and I actually worked on a couple of seasons of Flashpoint. So oh, yeah. And he's the main, one of the main about, characters. <laughs> Yeah, I got uh, and and now I work in advertising, and the bass player from the Headstones is actually a producer um, in radio, so I see him all the time. And uh, it's funny, I've had my own run-ins with every member of the Headstones here on sort of different ways. Nice, very unusual. That's really cool. Toronto show, Jet Set opens for Headstones. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Could totally see that. That that actually wouldn't be a bad starting point. You know, I never actually thought about that. That's interesting. Light bulb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Totally. So, Jet Set Satellite. I'm wearing a t-shirt right now, which was the... I think every single Winnipeg band does a version of that. Oh, yeah. Comeback Kid has done it. I'm wearing the Jets logo Jet Set Satellite t-shirt. The, yeah. the, the team is back. And I've been saying this since the, the day that uh, they hit the ice, that Jet Set Satellite needs to do the opening song when they come on ice. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we did sort of try... So, I, so first... Firstly, let me say, I mean, you know, like I said, I'm a lifetime Jets fan. Um, that was the reason for doing the logo. I know it's been done before. I like to think we did it the best uh, with our I attention to detail. Probably um, agree. We also having the name Jet in your name doesn't hurt. Um, but uh, I don't think I'd try that one these days. I have a feeling that would end in a cease and desist order. Um, <laughs> 
but um, we did uh, record a version of Cool Your Jets called Fuel Your Jets, Baby Fuel Your oh, Jets. Oh. Um, but, but honestly, um, you know, again, the not being situated in the same city and kind of having to kind of piecemeal it together might not have been our best effort. I know it did get spun at some of the games, but it wasn't embraced mm-hmm. as fully as we may have, you know, desired. Um, so, yeah, I, gonna... I, I think that door was open and maybe it's closed now. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe uh, some people on this end, we can start saying, hey, because you can actually request songs DC on Twitter. DC and I know some people that, that work inside that organization. Yeah. Maybe we'll try. And uh, right. Well, it's one of those things, too, where they pointed out to us that, you know, cooling your jets is like the reverse of what they oh, want. Yeah. Right? yeah. Well, I like the fuel <laughs> your jets. Fuel your jets is good. Yeah. That's all right. Or maybe yeah. a new track. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe something hard in. Yeah. They come out to Duhas by Romstein yeah. right now. Which is good, but yeah. I don't know. But like, you know, a, home, get, a home sense could... Uh, it could get better. Yeah. Get we better. actually, uh, the last guy we interviewed is actually plays bass on a track that uh, they did for the Jets. Yeah, they are open yeah. to uh, local bands, which is really cool. I think they do at least once a year. Yeah, what was the name of the group more. again? Um, oh, come on, Alex. On the spot Boy here. in the Sea? Boy in the Sea? Yeah, I was that's what it say is. say Boys in the Sea, and that's Boy wrong. Boy in the Sea. Yeah. Boy in the Sea. Cool. Uh, you guys have any well, questions? I mean, you know, that uh, I just want to say. I yeah. mean, that, you know, the Winnipeg Jets is is an organization that you know they just do, in my mind, everything right. Um, so, um, you know, and and we're we're talking right now while the Jets game is on. I can't believe you I know this, for that. this was the uh, only time we could get the studio. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, they do everything right. So their support of local bands doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Do you guys actually, have any last questions? Actually, I just forgot about one thing about going about the fan thing. Yeah. This was actually one of my favorite fan things. I told you, I can't believe I forgot about it. Every Halloween, they used to do a haunt show, and you like mm-hmm. everybody would dress up, and there would be prizes for dressing up, and they would play a show. Oh my god, that yeah. sounds incredible! Yeah, we used to, like. I think there was one at the Garrick. There was one at uh, um, Canada's uh, Regent. Bands still do that nowadays. The um, the kind of punk scene here right now, they usually do like a, a Halloween show where they cover other bands where they dress up and cover other bands yeah that, so. that's really cool we never took it to that level but maybe we would have i know it was uh we did three halloween haunt shows right. as well so it was, uh, that's yeah. really cool halloween's, also, halloween's my birthday too so that was always oh, like didn't uh, know that good, yeah yeah that's pretty cool um mm-hmm. last last thing here do you have any words of wisdom for the local scene and local artists today coming up um you know, do it because you love it. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing um, Josh Omi from Queens of the Stone Age now, but like, you know, he he kind of has been asked a number of times about like, you know, bands that were interested in in signing to labels and how do you get a record deal and everything. And you know, his advice was, you know, just do it like no one's going to help you, and you know, and eventually, like if you get you know kind of big enough a label will step in right um Mm -hmm. but do it because you do it how you imagine you'd like it to be done and just go out there and do it you know like don't don't do it like thinking that someone's going to swoop in and save the day um those days are over and and we may have been the last (laughs) the last sort of bastion of that I, i think um which um you know felt lucky but at the same time feels like i don't want to say a footnote in what we did because it but it was just like we were on a label for one album and we put out three and i feel like our best material doesn't necessarily all end up on that first one so Mm -hmm. um 
you know, I, I think you just have to really stay true to what it is that you want out of the project and just go out there and, and get it. Total dig it. I like it. Love. I have one last question. I always ask it of everybody that I ever, I ever interview. It is the most important mm-hmm. and hardest question that I ever ask anybody. Are you prepared? Yes, I'm prepared. Is a hot dog a sandwich and why or why not? I mean, aren't there enough sandwiches out there that the hot dog can't just kind of, you know, own its own space? That's I a, would say no. I think I, I think a hot dog's a hot dog. It's totally an entirely different thing. Totally valid answer. Yeah, I still agree with that. that yeah. To- Sam- yeah. Sandwiches between bread, hot dog is in a bun. Totally valid answer. I I I don't think I that there's my a- childhood gets stomped on right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a particularly right. I don't think any of the answers are particularly correct. I, I'm just interested in, in knowing what, what different people mm-hmm. think about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really looking forward to the show in August. I'm thinking we'll, yep. we'll definitely have to track uh, Trevor down when he's in town uh, at this venue yep. and chat some more. And uh, But yeah, Trevor, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening and chatting with us, especially with the Jets game being on. Yeah, we're, we yeah, apologize for that. <laughs> no, thank you, guys. Uh, thanks for your interest and, and enthusiasm about the band and, and uh, great questions. And, uh, you know, like I said, it's just uh, it's it's heartwarming to know that uh, that anything that we did together still you know has a life of its own um that was always the intention but not the expectation if that makes sense mm-hmm. um so really look, looking forward to the show and uh we're gonna we're gonna throw down so all right hope everybody's ready yeah can't wait thank you so much trevor all right thanks guys yeah take care cheers right. okay, thank you bye